You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, and welcome to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It's the 12th of March, 2015. And, uh, well, no, it's Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, joined as always by Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And, uh, Dave, dude, I, I'm, you're up in Whistler. You got snow. You, you're skiing. You're having fun. But guess what I got? What do you got? Well, I'm looking out my window and it's melting. It's melting. <laughs> you sound um, like the wicked witch. Uh, I feel like the but I feel like Glenda, the good witch. Uh, <laughs> the great eastern freeze has broken. The snow is melting. We're um well, actually pretty much every house in Toronto is now beachfront property because of the flooding. <sighs> so, you know, things are good. Things are good. You know what? I, I guess, and I know you lived on the West Coast. I guess that's one of the perks to being me. I actually have to drive up a mountain to get to the snow. Yes, and you <laughs> drive down it and go golfing in the afternoon. I remember. That's that exactly right. <laughs> okay, it's not all good news today. In fact, I'm afraid we have to open with some uh, terribly sad news. Um, after a uh, a long and, and and very public fight with Alzheimer's disease, um, British fantasy author Sir Terry Pratchett died this morning at age sixty six. He was awarded the Order of the British Empire for services to literature in nineteen ninety eight, and was later elevated to knighthood for the same services to literature in the year two thousand and nine. Pratchett was best known for the forty plus book series Discworld. He's also known for his collaborations with other notable fantasy authors, such as his friend Neil Gaiman. Now, Pratchett's personal motto, his personal motto, the what he found on the bottom of his coat of arms. The dude had his own coat of arms, eh? Because he was a knight. Mm-hmm. So the very bottom of his uh, personal of his coat of arms reads, "Noli temere mesorum," 
which translates to Don't Fear the Reaper. Rest in peace, Terry Pratchett, one of the largest among today's crop of small gods. Thanks for that uplifting little note there, Jim. Thanks. Well, you know, it's... uh, yeah, we 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 tend to report only on internet like news, but Terry Pratchett was uh Yeah, I, I would suggest that his writing actually informed some of the traditions that have developed on the internet. You know? Okay, moving right along, here's a fun one. Have you up uh, do you do you or do you or anybody you know edit Wikipedia? Why, yes. Many people well, I know and myself. Well, you'll be happy to know that your your work has been noticed, Dave. You just mightn't be so happy to know that the people who noticed it was like the NSA. Oh, see, apparently every time you and people you know made um, updates or entries, even corrections to Wikipedia, the NSA decided you became someone worth looking into. <laughs> And, and how that, incredibly bored they must have been when they tried. <laughs> and and this is the basis. This is the basis for the um, lawsuit that the Wikimedia Foundation, the, the, the foundation that, that, that actually owns Wikipedia, the Wikimedia Foundation is suing the NSA for making targets out of people like you, people who are volunteer contributors to Wikimedia. Yeah, I can see why. Like, what what makes you what makes that a uh, suspicious in in any like really in in any capacity? Um, I, I don't know obviously all the details about this at this point whether they were targeting specific based on um, you know what people were editing and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think there's probably easier and better ways to get to the same people they're trying to get to. Well, if the um, if the NSA is really so interested. They will have learned that the green apple aphid may have 10 to 15 generations in a, in a year. Or that the Italian <laughs> cruiser, Carlo Alberto, was used for radio experiments by, uh, by Marconi while serving as a royal yacht for King Victor Emmanuel III. Um, the stuff you learn when you work for the NSA, huh? Yeah, it's very, very interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, I feel for... I mean, I, obviously, there's there's a bunch of things in here, and I can go. Okay, I find it annoying that they, you know, I somehow became a target because I updated like Penguin updates pages and and stuff like that. But the person I really feel sorry for in all this, well, people are the ones that actually had to go through this data because how incredibly dull a job they had. They joined surveillance forces. They thought they were going to be James Bond when they grew up. <laughs> And now they're watching aphid information and learning about penguin updates. Um, aren't they lucky? Oh well, you know, had they been, had you been actually um, working on, say, panda updates, mm-hmm. like you know, up, uh, updating Wikipedia around panda updates, mm-hmm. not only would they have been, you know, slightly, well, they'd have actually been even more bored because, according to Google, panda itself hasn't updated since October 2014. Yeah, yeah, that was the last time I did <laughs> update. That was that update. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I mean that's a problem. Well, it I is guess. a problem, and you know what's even more a problem? We were, and again, this is this is where um, I get. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm annoyed with Google or if I'm annoyed with us. Maybe a bit of both, but um, 
as I understood it, um, Panda, the, the changes to the algorithm that were affecting the quality of content or Google's impression of the quality of content on a page, as I understood it, Dave, wasn't that supposed to be Everflux? Like, ain't that supposed <laughs> to be just part of the overall algorithm now? Yeah, I, I loved when they announced that, and then everybody believed them. And then it was like two months after that announcement that they rolled out the next update. And I was like, well, that lie didn't last i mean i don't think i guess maybe not a lie right like it's not a lie if you believed it when you were saying it but. <laughs> well, well so i guess that that leaves us with the question how are we supposed to interpret this new news should we think that uh panda is still sort of its own little separated thing you know sitting there off to the side or should we think that you know panda is part of the algorithm but they might remove it and replace it with an updated version like what is it one or the other yeah, I, I mean, I have to go with it's it's not rolled in yet. Um, in their defense, and I mean, you know, I do. Um, you've run A/B tests, I assume, mm. probably for, yeah, for your yeah. clients. I, I've I've run A/B tests. Probably most of our listeners listeners have run them or, or understand what they are. Anyway, they may not have needed to run them, but Google's got a lot going on right now. Um, where I have some pretty big problems with with what's going on, I don't even mind the panda side. Um, but over at Go Figure, Barry Schwartz writing over at <laughs> SE Roundtable uh, was talking about the um, Penguin update as well, doing the same thing. Now, that's the one I have a bigger issue with, of course, because you can get penalties and not have them repaired until the next update. Hasn't been that, that long. We're not talking more than a year like it was last time. But with all these announcements and all this effort that they're putting into building new indexes for mobile, putting out, you know, warnings to to site owners on uh, they got a lot going on with mobile um and i i there's part of me that has to think you know if it was mine i mean i know they got updates coming out all the time like more than one a year they're they're updating some something or another um but with such a massive massive work like, thing in the works right now in regards to building new indexes and testing those and, and figuring that out does it surprise me that they're hitting the snooze button on a couple other update kinds yeah you know Panda, Penguin, they're getting kind of boring now, right? Like, they got a new shiny thing, they're engineers. <laughs> so, I, you know, I can't really blame them because they got a lot going on, and it is tough to test two environments like that um, simultaneously. I mean, obviously, easier for them because of the massive amounts of traffic they have, but I, I guess I can't blame them for it per se, but I think it really sucks for webmasters and that they haven't just rolled it in yet after saying they would. Like, I don't know, it's got to be more than a year ago. Um, is is pretty pretty frustrating for us, and we don't really know what to what to believe from them. But um, you know, I, I I'm gonna guess it's still gonna be a while before we see uh, pandas and and penguins ransacking the web. It does give me the idea for a really new um, for for a brand new participatory game, though. What's that? Well, you know how those escape rooms are becoming so popular. You know, you get a bunch of people together and they have to solve like uh, math and linguistic problems to work themselves out of an escape room. Yeah. Well, we should do this with, like, you know, Google Panda. And the house will always win because there is no escape. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> yep. That's a great idea. And they would. That is the problem. They would always win. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, we're we're going to have to go to a commercial break. i got a couple more things that we want to. So, okay. So, I was checking through our industry records earlier today. I guess what I saw. What did you see? Career Builder has been doing a bit of hiring over the last week. And check this out, man. Career Builder hired Paris-based SEO David Carillon. Wow. That's a cool yeah. guy. That's really good for them. 
Well, indeed, yeah, yeah. He is a cool guy. David's David's now the SEO product owner for EMEA and APAC for Career Builder. That, that, that's pretty cool. So, you know, Allison Fabella and her team down there at Career Builder, great hire. David's a great guy. He's really, really lo- looking forward to good stuff coming from y'all. Indeed. Um, got a couple more things we can cover. Um, hey, last week we warned everybody about the, the – uh, that 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 problem Microsoft was having that they called Freak. Mm-hmm. Well, you might have noticed when you tried to turn your computer off on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning that it wouldn't turn off. That's because <laughs> Microsoft, in their you know patch patch Tuesday, mm-hmm. issued a patch for Freak. So, as we explained last week, Freak uh, happened because of encryption standards uh, that were. How to say this? Um, well, the U.S. government kind of messed itself over by uh, <laughs> telling the rest of the world they weren't allowed to have industrial-grade uh, encryption standards. So software makers started making, you know, two different types of encryption standard. One of them was left wide open to vulnerabilities because it was so crappy that everyone just sort of forgot about it. That's where Freak came from. Microsoft fixed it this week. But speaking of stuff that needs patching... Um, anyone out there who's running Yoast SEO for WordPress, a major vulnerability has been found in uh, Yoast SEO for WordPress. You're wide open for, to, for an SQL attack. Update. If you're running Yoast for SEO for WordPress, update right now. We'll wait. <laughs> well, I mean, a valid point. And this, I mean... Speaking of just things that uh, that we're hearing is first, this is the first time I, I've heard this. Um, a hat tip to uh, ethical hackers because that's who uh, revealed it to. There, yep. there were some people trying to hack, revealed it to Yoast, Yoast patched it, and then it was it was sent out to the world. Um, but first time I've seen this. Hey, more news from our friend Barry Schwartz. Because <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> that's where I saw this one. I've never seen this before. WordPress. Uh, has worked with Yoast because of the popularity of this plugin. It was viewed as such a massive issue um, that WordPress is auto updating um, to to deal with this and auto updating the plugin for. I mean, go in, check, make sure. I mean, for goodness' sake, this is a, a massive vulnerability. Um, but I, I I don't know. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen it. And I've worked on a good number of WordPress sites. I've never seen WordPress step up and go, "Oh, vulnerable plugin. We're going to fix this because it's." Such a massive issue. Um, I, I, I don't know the exact stats. I'm just pulling this out of my ear, but I'm guessing at least one in three WordPress sites running SEO plugins are running Yoast. Are running Yoast's uh, plugin? Probably, and I think more to it. I know there's there's a listed 14 million blogs using it. I mean, blog, WordPress sites, but I mean, on top of that, of course, is those ones are going to be some of the ones with the most love and attention given to them, right? Like these are people who are trying. I mean, not, you know, some of them are going to be crowd throwaways, of course, but, um, you know, these are people who are really working on on their sites. They're paying attention to stuff. They want to customize their titles. They, they want all the bells and whistles. Um, so I think almost worse, it's not even the percentage that they are. It's the percentage of good WordPress sites that they make up. Right? And they're probably making up some of the, the largest. I mean, there's a few good SEO um, plugins for WordPress, but this is definitely one of the, or probably the most popular, uh, and it is a great one. So, yeah, huge issue. I'm glad WordPress stepped up on this one. I hope to see them do it uh, more often with uh, with other plugins. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as for love and attention, did you say 14 million websites? 14 million. Why yep. am I buying Yoast drinks at conventions? What is wrong with me? You should be buying me drinks. <laughs> 14, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yoast, come on, buddy. You owe me. You owe me drinks. <laughs> that's why Dave just told me that. Well, I know, and that's just his one plug-in. I mean, you know as well as I do. He's got wax of them. I mean, I bought them. <laughs> like, you know, it's a, a, a whole bunch of different ones from him. So, yeah, yeah I think he's doing okay. We're going to start spelling your name with a J again just to confuse everybody. <laughs> okay, we got a couple minutes before we got to go to break. When we come back, when we come back, we're going to have cyber lawyer Mark Donald, uh, Canadian Civil Liberties, Defamation, cyberbullying, and overall cyber law expert. We're going to be calling him up during our first break. We've got to have one more story before we get there, and this one, this one kills me. I can't, I can't believe that Jen Slake actually has to write this. I'm glad she did. In, uh, earlier this week in the SEM post, I can't, I can't believe that someone's got to write this. But um, if you're, when you're doing your transfer over to HT. HTTPS, when you're, you know, getting your secure socket layer. Just a reminder, kids, be sure to update your site maps and other elements for the new URLs. God, I can't believe i got to say that. I know. You know what? I, I, maybe, maybe it's because we've been doing this long enough. Maybe it's because we have common sense. To me, that's, that's a lot like, hey, make sure you have a valid certificate installed. <laughs> like, it's just part and parcel of what you need to do. Um, you know, set your redirects in place to make sure that your whole site moves over, right? Like, it, it all seems pretty, pretty mundane to, to us, but you know what? What's sad is there's a reason she had to write it, Jim. There is. <laughs> I get this. So, so, so there you go. It's out there. We just mentioned it. I, my, uh, yeah, get on it, kid. <laughs> wow. Okay, last thing before we got to go, um, before we got to go to our first break, the uh, technology blog. GigaOm, Malik's blog, the <laughs> arguably one of the, the most intelligent tech blogs out there, filed for bankruptcy earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Last year they'd received um, a good amount of VC funding. This year they've got nothing. It's a weird cautionary story. Danny Sullivan wrote a uh, great piece in Vox magazine, which I think got reprinted over at Search Engine Land, um, his opinion on what happened to uh, GigaOm. And, uh, well, you know, just, I just think of the quality of people out there from, uh, you know, O'Malek, uh, Matt Ingham, um, a lot of great writers, great technologists. Um, now, um, they don't got anywhere to write for. It's too bad. Yeah. Okay. On that, it's uh, 20 after the hour on the 12th of March, 2015. You're listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. We're coming back with uh, Mark Donald and uh, from MF Law. As I said, we're coming back. We're going to have Mark on the phone after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. 
Do you want to optimize and grow your business? Then master your skills in conversion rate optimization. Sign up for Conversion Conference Las Vegas 2015, happening on May 12th through the 14th. It's Brasco from Webmaster Radio inviting you to the biggest and only conversion conference in the United States this year. Join your colleagues in the world's leading conversion experts, including Tim Ash, Amy Africa, Lance Loveday, Natalie Nahai, plus 40 of your favorite optimizers. Learn to create persuasive content, design landing pages that trigger your visitors to action, and convert blog readers into customers. Come to Conversion Conference, the conference that pays for itself in no time. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get a $100 discount on their pass. Register early and get full access for only $897 when you use discount code WMFM. Simply register online at ConversionConference.com with the code WMFM. That's ConversionConference.com, code WMFM. Hurry, save your seat before they sell out. InternetMarketingINC.com is one of the fastest-growing full-service digital marketing agencies in the country, specializing in providing results-driven online marketing solutions. Internet Marketing Inc.'s passionate team prides themselves on staying ahead of marketing trends to create and implement campaigns that get more traffic to your website, gain positive brand awareness, and drive conversions. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. It is the 12th of March, 2015. And uh, before we get to talk to you next, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. So, everyone, happy St. Patrick's Day. Be safe, drive safe, don't drive drunk, don't be stupid. Get home alive and code the next day. <laughs> okay, as I promised going into break, on the line we have. <laughs> okay, as I promised going into break, on the line we have Mark Donald. Mark is a, uh, a lawyer uh, based in Toronto, Ontario. He has experience in several practice areas, including corporate and commercial disputes 
franchisee rights, defamation, fiduciary duties, professional discipline, bankruptcy, and insolvency. He, co- he completed his articles at one of Toronto's top boutique litigation firms, has appeared before the Superior Court of Ontario in bankruptcy and insurance coverage matters, and possesses a strong background in human rights issues. He worked with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, has represented the Canadian Civil Liberties Association on CBC, on, new, on CBC TV and radio. He's particularly interested in media law and defamation. When not practicing law, Mark's a big fan of the Toronto Blue Jays, learning Mandarin, and stops people on the corner to explain why the Clash are the greatest band of all times. Mark Donald, welcome to Webcology. Thanks for having me, you guys. Well, we had to have you, man, because, like, damn it, the Clash are the greatest band of all time, right? <laughs> Spanish Bombs is the greatest song ever written. It's up there. The yep. most, what, what did Rolling Stones say? The only band that mattered? Absolutely. Although, okay. uh, you know... I'm, I'm afraid that's not what we actually got you on here to talk about. I, uh, <laughs> I met Mark at a really interesting uh, 50 Innovators of Toronto night uh a couple of weeks ago um and uh we got into this 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 interesting conversation his area of law um has touched on seo several times he's worked on um quote unquote bad seo cases which which always uh, always interests me and he's worked on a number of uh, prominent cyberbullying cases given the number of legal issues that are happening for webmasters in Canada in the United States and around the world, um, I thought it would be a great time to have him on to ask him a bunch of questions about a bunch of stuff. Starting with, uh, Mark, I know that you're, 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 you're a Canadian lawyer, and this is an American case, but do you have any comments on um, on Wiki, Wiki, uh, the Wikimedia Foundation's suit against the NSA? Well, I think it speaks to a general, uh, you know, shift in the jurisprudence in both Canada and the U.S. We see, you know, Bill C-51 in Canada is on the same sort of par. And while I can't speak about, you know, the American case law with any great authority, um, you know, I think we are seeing increasing, you know, battles between uh, different focus groups, between civil society, groups like the ACLU, the CCLA, my, uh, my alma mater organization, and, and government actors like the NSA and CSIS who are trying in, you know, in the light of uh, recent foreign events and uh, events in the Middle East and, and so-called terrorism to expand their powers. And I think it does have a lot of troubling implications for free speech and for, um, you know, our privacy rights. Okay. Um, just to, to explain to, to um, our listeners who aren't in Canada, Bill C-51 is a new act that is before Canada's parliament that um, very much expands policing powers. It's being called, um, on one side, it's being called an anti-terrorism act. On another side, it's being called a police state act. So just a little bit of context for the, for the listeners. Um, Mark, you said that the um, law enforcement agencies or our intelligence agencies are trying to beef up their strength in um, reaction to um, events that are happening um, Overseas and you know, in in, in some cases uh, domestically, mm-hmm. uh, we had uh, two acts of terror of terrorism uh, happened in Canada back in October. Um, are these expanded powers under under C fifty one or under the American Patriot Act? Um, how do they impact 
uh, people who are say, just just publishers, you know, regular people who are publishing. What do they got to well, watch out for? Well, you know, there's there's a word that comes up time and time again in publication law and defamation law, and that's libel chill. Now. Traditionally speaking, in the United States, this isn't so much of a problem because, you know, American laws have always treasured freedom of speech, I think, a little more than their Canadian counterparts because of the First Amendment. But speaking specifically about Canada, you know, when you look at Bill C-51, there's a lot of broad language in there that I think we should be worried about. Uh, specifically, you know, I'm just reading some stuff off here. Um, it gives government organizations uh, the power, excuse me, the courts the power to order the removal of quote-unquote terrorist propaganda from the Internet. Um, it, it allows uh, judges, for example, to order an ISP to provide information that's necessary to identify and locate um, people who may have posted you know, material that's qualified as terrorist propaganda. Um, the, the issue about this is the concept of terrorist propaganda is so broad that you get a lot of different actors in the civil society sphere who are starting to get worried about what it could mean for their activities. Uh, Greenpeace, Aboriginal First Nations groups in Canada, um, groups that may be uh, against things such as fracking or the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, you know, in Canada, time and time again, and increasingly, we're seeing the government take a very keen interest in these people and, you know, any problems they might have uh, with these projects and how it might affect economic interests. And I think so they're, they're very worried at this point about how that's going to affect uh, their abilities to advocate and to agitate. Okay, now, um, one thing that I'm concerned, I think, I think our listeners will be concerned about, um, our listeners are predominantly based in the United States, although we, you know, we have listeners around the world. Um, all of them, in our, in our occupation, we don't really think about borders very much. When you hit when you hit enter or publish on the internet, you're mm-hmm, publishing mm-hmm. to the entire world. So if you're yeah. an American concerned about, say, the Keystone XL pipeline uh, that will be running from, uh, say, Alberta down to Texas through America, might you run afoul of Canadian law writing in opposition to Keystone? Well, I mean, there are increased uh, you know, information-sharing mechanisms between the Canadian and American governments. Um, so from a strictly legal point of view, um, you know, I, I don't suspect, you know, an issue of defamation is going to come up uh, just because you're writing about Keystone, although it's possible. Uh, more to the point, I think the, the worry would be that because of things like expanded powers, again, under Bill C-51 here in Canada, uh, that there could be the threat, possibly, of, you know, increased surveillance or that you may have, um, you may, you know, you may be put on something akin to a watch list or something of that nature. That's terrifying. Hmm. Now, I mean, I, I, I have to. I'm, I'm old enough to, to remember the, the Cold War. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm that old. Um, and, and of course, you know, the, the, the sort of comments we would make, um, sort of back then. You know, well, you know, in the, the KGB or, or whatnot, just don't do anything wrong. And uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much you know we're surveying you. Is just don't do anything wrong. You'll be, you'll be fine. Uh, was, was sort of the, the comment we would make anyway about their internal structure. So, does the same thing not apply from your, from your comments? And, and I think they're legitimate talking about Greenpeace being the example you used and, and going okay now how do they how do they get targeted in there but from a legal standpoint now and, and I, you know, I think we've got a good person to ask this question about in events like this 
um, from a legal standpoint, if the government can simply step in, be it in Canada, be it in the States, be it in, in any country, can just step in and make laws that, you know, in, in the case of Canada would be the Charter of Rights and in the case mm-hmm. of the States would be the Constitutions. If the governments can simply come in and make new laws that, that sort of counter that, what, what do we have? Like what, what's there to protect uh, our, our freedoms of speech? Well, there, there, there's two things. Number one, I mean, you always have to have faith in judicial oversight. Remember, none of these powers, or at least in the Canadian context, these powers are not completely untrammeled. Uh, the, you know, agents of CSIS, which is sort of the, the Canadian equivalent of the, of, the, of the NSA, they still have to go in front of a judge, and a judge has to interpret uh, the evidence put before them before they issue an order to a warrant. But by the same token, I think the concern that, that, that we have is that the use of this broad, amorphous language, quote, terrorist propaganda, uh, you know, under Bill C-51, uh, they are challenging, and that is a concern. But, you know, at the same time, you know, as a lawyer, I have a lot of faith in ju- the judiciary and where, if and when we think the judiciary falls short, it's up to us as lawyers to be strong advocates for all our clients and not only for our clients. But I think for, for society at large, you know, for the greater public interest. And the other th- answer I'd give, I suspect, is that it's up to really all of us. You know, I, I, you know, I used to work for the CCLA, and I, I'm still involved in several causes, um, you know, in relation to freedom of speech. I represent protesters whenever I can. And I think it's up to all of us to get involved in any which way we can, just to advocate, just to agitate, to make sure that the government, which is, you know, a democratic representation of us, knows how we feel about decreased privacy and knows how we treasure our privacy, especially in, you know, a day like today where we're constantly online. You know, uh, you know, Mark, speaking of privacy, um, one of the things that, uh, that has happened in the last uh, couple of weeks was some major busts around... Um, what are the the revenge porn sites? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, there was even there was even one fellow who had put up a revenge porn site who was uh, asking Google to remove all information about his conviction because it makes him look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is how is it that our governments can go after us for things like you know terrorism, these amorphous, worrisome terrorism, yet they have a hard time finding and shutting down cyberbullies, uh, the, the people who put up these revenge porn sites. Is it me or is there a disconnect here? Well, you know, in my opinion, it's really a question of judicial resources. Um, you know, I've been involved in cases that, you know, that, that touch on cyberbullying. And, you know, I pursue them through the civil courts as opposed to anything criminal or anything that involves, you know, government actors. But what you see time and time again, at least in the civil context, um, for example, with things like cyberbullying, is that more often than not, the focus of the, uh, the actors, people like the police or the government, are focused on the worst of the worst because of certain limited resources. So, you know, in, in the cases of cyberbullying, things that approximate or estimate child pornography, things that estimate or approximate, uh, you know, clear and present dangers and, and clear and present harm to individuals uh, in regards to their physical security. These are the things that they're concentrating on. Now, that's not to, to diminish the, you know, the, the tragedy of cyberbullying, but at the same time, I've been involved in cases where it doesn't reach that level, and because of that, it does take months upon months 
to first, you know, to, to organize your materials, secondly, to get the order, third, to enforce the order, and then once you enforce a court order, you know, hopefully, to find the individual behind the, uh, behind the cyberbullying. Whoa, 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 slow down there for a second. You just, you just mentioned four or five different steps and concluded with, and then possibly find the person. Yes, and then possibly, because, you know, everyone's a little more savvy these days on, on the Internet. So I'll, I'll give you an example. If someone decides that they're going to harass another individual, but they're going to do it from the, the safety of a computer, you know, a public computer at a Starbucks, a public computer in a large library at a, at a university institution, it makes it that much harder to find them because once you find the IP address behind the computer, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to link it to a specific individual. And because of that, you, you can see where you know, the challenges upon challenges accumulate. Now, you know, I'm a, I'm a privacy rights advocate, and I, I think specifically, I think, in a sense, I think the courts have got it right. I should have to go amass my evidence. I should have to go and seek a court order. The court should consider it. Uh, you know, I should then have to go and, and speak directly to the ISP and work it out with them. But I think the issue is not one of the judicial balance at this point, but more just the overloading of the courts and the access to justice. Uh, It's not that the courts are unwilling to give these kinds of orders. It's just they're so overburdened with every single privacy case that they might have, every single corporate commercial case that they might have, every single bankruptcy or or tort case that they might have, that in the final analysis, it does take months upon months just to get get from point A to point B. Is this why we don't hear about more cyberbullying uh, prosecutions in the media? Uh, you know what? I, I think it is. I think that's, a, that's a, a, an oppressive point, and I think it's an important one. More often than not, and I can speak you know, in the same way about defamation cases, uh, which I have some experience in, you know, I, I advise many of my clients, there's always a time and there's always an expense to this, to pursuing someone in the courts. And I promise you, it's probably going to take longer than you think, and it's probably going to cost more than you think. Um, I, I think the issue, and it's a watchword for any litigator here in Ontario, and that's access to justice. I mean, we have the laws at our disposal. Uh, you know, we're a free and democratic society, but by the same token, it's so hard for your average person on the street to avail themselves of those laws just because of the cost, just because of the time, and that's a problem. Well, now, does this, does this become a... Obviously, we know when these laws are coming in Canada, state, doesn't matter where you are in the world, when these laws are being brought in and, and they're targeting as... as is, you know, obviously popular right now, um, anti-terrorism, well, we don't mm-hmm. ha- maybe necessarily, in many cases, have that time to, to deal with the system like that. I mean, clearly, you know, if something's, you know, about to hit the fan, we want to be on it now right, um, right. And, and dealing with it. So is this a justification for the kinds of laws like 51 or, you know, down in, in you know, the equivalent laws in other countries to actually go, yeah, but we, we don't have months to work our way through the legal system here. We, you know, this is a threat on our nation. We need to, to jump mm-hmm. on this now. Um, you know, obviously we can all see the violations that are, that are inherent in them. But is it is it necessary to to make sure that we're getting through the system faster in, in important cases? Well, you know, I I think it's a reason. I wouldn't call it a good justification. Um, you know, in the aftermath of the Parliament Hill, Hill shootings here in Ontario, uh, we had several several prominent judges, activists, uh, professors, thinkers come out and say. You know, it's important to look at the law, but not to have any knee-jerk reactionism um, to, to what's going on. And, you know, from that perspective, uh, 
you know, I, I think that, uh, that looking at it from that perspective, what we have is a situation where the, the courts need to be need to be responsive to this, but not so responsive that it sort of starts to erode these these core fundamental freedoms that we find, you know, in the United States under um, under their constitution or in Canada under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The core fundamental principle here in Canada is that we are, you know, a free and democratic society. And while we appreciate the need for for you know responsive uh, police forces. I think the notion that they should be completely, uh, you know, omnipresent and omniscient, um, sure, it's uh, it's good in the short term, and it's what I would call sort of a, a cotton candy version of the law. It's it's easy to consume, and it, it it makes you feel sort of good on the inside, but it, there's no real substance to it. And I think what it leads to down the road is abuse, and that's I think what groups like Greenpeace are are concerned about. That's what Canadian First Nations Aboriginals are concerned about, uh, and and you know groups that might be protesting things like the Keystone Pipeline are concerned about. Um, now, you were in the you've you, you, you've been practicing law for 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 years now, and you were um, in the courts um, in October when um, to. Uh, Two members of the Canadian forces were killed in Canada by um, people who, by by lone wolf, um, for want of a better word, wannabe jihadi terrorists. Mm-hmm. Did the did 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 you get a sense that the tone in the courts changed at all those days because of those actions? Well, you know, I think we haven't seen, you know a great sort of um, sea change because, of course, again, these, these sort of cases, they move slowly and, uh, you know, they're ongoing, especially in the criminal context. I mean, I, I do very little uh, criminal law. Most of what I do is more on the civil side. I think what you're starting to see is a, is a grander debate in Canada about, and I think C-51 is the prime example of that, about this balance between freedom and free expression on the one hand and, you know, the, the government's ability to monitor on the other. So I, I think I wouldn't say I've seen any massive changes in the judiciary because nothing's really come up yet. I don't think we've had any, a chance to sort of really sit back and, uh, and analyze, you know, the importance and the legal implications of things like the Parliament Hill attacks. But they're coming. Um, and it just depends on where we land. I know, you know, the Conservative government, which has put uh, Bill C-51 forward, seems to be very, very adamant that these powers are necessary. Um, by the other, you know, the other side, the CCLA, they've been very adamant that this is, this is a step too far, as have several judges in the Canadian judiciary, or excuse me, retired judges in the Canadian judiciary, and many prominent thinkers at places like the University of Toronto, uh, Queen's University, Osgoode Hall, all good law schools over here. Well, one of our concerns is overreach, but again, for, for, for our, our audience specifically, mm-hmm. our audience tends to be webmasters. Mm-hmm. We are either publishing our own material or we're, we're working for um, a company or as third party to, uh, to, to other, other business organizations. Mm-hmm. We are liable for the work that we do. We're responsible for the work we do. And in, in many ways, we're, you know, webmasters are considered publishers. And I know I asked this earlier, but I just want to make sure we've covered this. Are any of my American or British or Indian or foreign cousins, might any of them be put in any jeopardy? Because of uh, laws in Canada. Well, you know, 
defamation is a global sort of a tort. Uh, it's always possible for a webmaster in uh, Canada to be sued in the United States or for a webmaster in uh, the United States to be sued in Canada just because of the nature and scope of, uh, of the Internet. You know, it, it comes down to, and, and we're talking about two different things here. On, on the one hand, there's the criminal element in Bill C-51 and the implications of, of, of terrorism and so on and so forth. Um, on the other hand, there's the civil, uh, you know, the civil tort that we're talking about, which is defamation, which is making a webmaster liable for something that may be offensive or deemed to be defamatory on their website. And, you know, yeah, they can be, they can be uh, presumptively liable for that. Uh, I, I think the, the challenge that we're coming to now in, in modern defamation law uh, here in Canada is that we're trying to make it, uh, we're trying to see the Internet in a far more expansive way. Uh, we're trying to, to, you know, increase freedom of expression and maybe not put so much emphasis on reputation. I know there was a case that came down in Canada uh, just in the last week or two called Bagwell and Smith, and in that case... Uh, the plaintiff uh, had called, or excuse me, the defendant had called the plaintiff a supporter of the Taliban. Uh, the plaintiff had sued, call, saying that was defamatory. And in the end, uh, the court said that, yes, it was defamatory, but the defendant had nevertheless made out uh, a defense called honest opinion, uh, meaning that he had shown, or a fair comment, meaning that it wasn't meant to be fact, but it was simply his opinion based on the facts. So I think for you know all your listeners out there, I think the key is to think about the context of their websites. Think about the context of what they're publishing, because that's what the courts are going to look at. Uh, if you've got a situation where it's a very acerbic political blog, as it was in the Bagwell and Smith case, it's less likely to be found defamatory, and so therefore it's less likely for someone who's posting or publishing content to be found liable. Well, um, Mark, I'm I'm getting. We're, we are going to take a break here. Um, we're we're at 15 minutes to the hour. I guarantee, if you ever have to represent me in a similar case, we're going to try the uh, a special defense. We're going to try the guy's a wingnut defense. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll okay. defend you. You're, you're absolutely successfully that I'm a wingnut and they don't want to listen to me. <laughs> we're going to make law together. It'll be great. It'll be so much fun. I'll, 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 I'll get it set up after the show. Okay, friends, that was Mark McDonald, a uh, cyber uh, cyber law, a uh, 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 friends. We got to take a break here on Webmaster Radio. That was Mark McDonald, uh, cyber law specialist from Toronto. This is Jim Hedge from Digital Waste Media. Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. We're going to come back close it, closing out the show after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. 
It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at InternetMarketingNinjas.com. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It is 10 minutes to the hour on the 12th of March 2015. It's almost the Ides of March. It's, hey, incidentally, if this is the 12th, we do our show on Thursday. That means tomorrow is like Friday the 13th, so like duck and cover, eh? I know. It's two months in a row with one because we have the 28-day uh, February, so. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, so there's no, there wasn't a February 29th this year? Not this year. No wonder I can't remember what I was doing that day. Okay. <laughs> um. So I've been reading. I've been reading the funniest thing in the in in, in uh, the mainstream news. It seems that um the anti vaxxers and the climate change deniers and all those f- folks are all up in arms over um they're, they're all freaked <laughs> out over um Google fact based ranking. And they're continuing to be freaked out over Google's fact-based ranking. You know the funniest thing about their freak-out, Dave? That it's not there yet? It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's, okay, just a note to, um, a note to um, all super right-wingers who might be listening to this show. <laughs> um, a, you've, you're tough. I'll give you that. You guys are tough. You're still listening. And B, you guys freak out about stuff that isn't real. Google is not, is not, or has not implemented a fact-based ranking algorithm, and they might not ever do it. It's just a theoretical paper. You know, in in defense of our of our our right wing friends here, because because you mentioned them, I have, and especially if we're going to talk uh, anti-vax and, and stuff like that, I've had a a number of uh, left wing idiots as well. <laughs> okay, okay, yep, yep. yep. Uh, on the anti-vax stuff, I will give that. Actually, that was that was a liberal problem as much as it was a conservative problem. Um, the climate change one, though, I mean, and the Fox News lovers, like those are <laughs> those tend not to be lefties. But but I digress. Um, it's again, it's the conspiratorial people freaking out about stuff that really doesn't even exist. Um, it would be like if Dave, if you and I had a conversation about renaming Wednesday um, Gold Day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you and I can talk about that on a uh, you know, fairly well-listened-to podcast all we want. doesn't actually mean people are going to rename Wednesday Gold Day. It just means that we were talking about it. But I bet you if we did, somebody would freak out about it on the Internet. Well, I think the problem here is, Jim, is that we were dealing with a group of people that don't require facts. <laughs> so... <laughs> Senior um, really fast, can it? <laughs> um, another one. I, I know we're 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 running low on time. Um, another one that uh, that came up. It was in a in a Google Hangout. I I had to love it, and this is going to uh, Jennifer Sleggs. Hey, don't forget to change your site maps and stuff. Uh, Google answered the question why a website might rank badly for one keyword. The answer being the algorithm changes sometimes, so it makes sense to go from one to four to seven to two um, and they also point out hey when you're number one your competitors want to be two uh, so that's gonna do things <laughs> so just on the list of things that are obvious that shouldn't need to be said but do um, just thought I would bring uh, bring that little gem up so that's from the recent, uh, season, you must have been there yourself Dave where you know you've had you've been enjoying number one rankings and you know you're you're feeling like you know king of the hill because you got number one rankings and then suddenly, you're in number fourth spot, and your first thought is, what have I done? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I guess maybe if this was being asked by somebody who was, you know, in their first year or something like that, then it becomes a forgivable. And, and maybe it was, maybe that is the issue and that I was putting this in the context of somebody. I don't know. You've been to that rodeo many times. I've been to that rodeo many times. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been through this enough times to go, yeah, that happens. <laughs> and then, I mean, heck, I've had sites, you know, our own site, for example, completely drop from the index at this. Yeah, that happened just like a month ago. And it was like, uh huh. You know, wait 24 hours, and if it's still happening, and sure enough, 24 hours later, it was back and fine. Uh, you know, we've been through it enough um, to, to just sort of, you know, I, but of course, I, I do understand that instinct of panic the first time these things happen to you. But uh, anyway. you want to hear, hear something really funny, really weird? What's that? My, my business partner, Alan Connect, he, uh, he keeps his old, his old company website, um, Connectology, up online. Yeah. Um, now, Connectology still exists as a, as a corporation. It's what holds his uh, his shares of uh, Digital Always Media, the company that him and I own together. Mm-hmm. And um, his website, Connectology, he claims he's done nothing to it for years, okay? Right. It's still ranking number one under a number of terms around analytics and around web trends. <laughs> now, the web trends I'll, I'll give because, you know, web trends is a... Uh, in, Amazing analytics uh, property, but not a lot of not a lot of uh, small, medium to small companies use web trends. Uh, web trends uh, they 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 use uh, uh, Google Analytics instead, right? Mm-hmm. But still, he's Alan swears he hasn't worked with his site for worked on his site for three or four years, and it's still ranking number one for web trends training in in uh, Canada. Okay, that's kind of funny. I think it's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I think it's kind of amazing because we're providing web trends training in Canada. So, you know, <laughs> quite pleased about it, let me tell you the truth. <laughs> but it, go, it, it, it goes to the point of if your site is moving around in the rankings, maybe it's not something you've done at all. Maybe it's something you haven't done or that another website that has a whole bunch of good stuff going for it, including longevity, is muscling its way into your – It doesn't. what I'm saying is it doesn't necessarily mean it's you. No, no, that's very true. Um, and you know what? Speaking of analytics, something I, I got to cover. It was uh, over. Uh, well, you're 
friend and uh, mine, Danny Goodwin, um, had sent it over over from the uh, Linkdex blog. It was an interesting survey that was done. We can cover it super fast before uh, the hook, uh, hook me. I'm not even going to say a word. Just go for it. Uh, perfect. It was on uh, impact of forecasting <laughs> in, uh, in SEO. So the idea of you know, forecasting for your clients, what's going to be. Um, they did a bunch of, uh, you know, surveyed a bunch of SEOs, including you know, your friend of mine, Simon Hesseltine. Anyways, uh, of it all, only 4% um, never provided them. Under 20% rarely. Anyway, the vast majority, like 96% of respondents were providing some level of forecasting. Um, About 92% said forecasting is time consuming. Here's what's kind of fun, though. Of all those forecasts, 75% of them ended up being inaccurate. So everybody's doing them. Everybody's spending a lot of time on them. 75% of the time, they're inaccurate at the end. (laughs) So So that tells me, actually, that, that tells me two things. One, that's the very first time... That's that Simon Hesseltine's name has been pronounced properly on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you really want your uh, your forecast to be correct, put it all on paper, and then write the exact opposite and send it to your client. Exactly. Then it'll be right seventy five percent of the time. Um, you know, in in defense of forecasting, I think it's it's the actual conclusions end up wrong. The direction ends up right. You know, as long as you know what you're what you're dealing with, I think it's a lot like throwing a throwing a dart at a dartboard in the dark. Right. You know that you're going to hit one of the numbers. You know you're going to hit your get your way forward. You just don't know how far forward you're going to move. And there you go, friends. Real SEOs hit the dartboard. <laughs> okay, there's the hook music. So, friends. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. We'd like to thank Brasco and all the folks down in the Webmaster Radio Studio, all of our sponsors. We'd like to thank Mark Donald from uh, from ML Law. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Friends, stick around. we got some great content coming up on the network right after the news. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Prohibited.